Why hadn't anyone ever told me that there's income out there and you can go and buy it and then it'll start coming into your bank account just like this? <laughs> that was when I had that shift. The same way that people go out and they get a loan or they do whatever they have to do to buy a car so that they don't have to build it from scratch the same way that they buy a house so that they don't have to build it from scratch. That is how you can go and buy income. And that was that paradigm shift and been doing it ever since. You're listening to the Ecom Exits podcast with your host, Nate Ginsberg. Learn the best tips and tactics to improve profits, cash flow, and maximize your e-commerce business value on the way to a successful exit. Welcome to the show. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome back. It's your host, Nate Ginsberg, here today, joined with Ace Chapman. So Ace is a business acquisition consultant, bought his first business 20 years ago, since then has done 150 deals, most recently raised a private equity fund, $12 million, as well as recently completed or in the process of taking a company public. So really excited to have Ace on the show to chat about all of his experience buying and selling businesses. So Ace, thanks so much for joining us. Man, it's really cool to be here. It's always fun when I get to do a podcast with somebody I've actually known outside of a business. So, you know, we, we've chatted a few times over the couple of years. But yeah, man, really yes. excited to have you on. I think I first uh, heard you on some podcasts, you know, maybe years ago. Always loved what you were doing and, and excited to have you on to share more. And so first, could you kind of explain, you talk a lot about micro private equity. So, you know, what is that? <laughs> It's funny, I was just talking to a buddy of mine that does works with family offices, family offices, basically really wealthy families who build out 10 or more person offices to manage their money. And so he helps families set those up. And we were talking about the new fund, maybe having some families that were investing. And he was like, you know, it's, it's interesting. I love the micro private equity thing. But I think most people will still see this as venture capital because the companies are so young and so small, or even if they're older, they just see it under that category. So micro-private equity is this interesting space that's really in between private equity and venture capital in almost every way. Risk profile is going to be a lot higher than traditional private equity because the typical private equity deal, you know, they're doing a, a large, really, really established business that they're also not looking to grow in a tremendous way. On the other end, it's going to be a lot less risky than venture capital, who's going into the deal expecting to lose 90 out of 100 deals to just go to zero and drive those last 10 to become the next Uber, Airbnb, or what have you. And then when you look at beyond just risk profile, return level, we're not looking to hit home runs like venture capital, but we sure as heck don't want the low returns of what pro the traditional private equity generates. 
So that's on just a, a high level view of what micro private equity is, but just kind of on the ground, it's essentially acquiring businesses that are smaller than, you know, $5 million valuations. One thing that I've heard you said, I think, on a couple of times on different podcasts or conversations that I really loved is philosophy of if you want more income, go buy it. And could you talk about that a little bit? Is it that simple? It was one of the things that um, led me to where I am now 20 years later was having the really, really good fortune while I was in college studying political science, thinking, okay, I'm going to go into law because I eventually wanted to get into international business. And I thought that was the angle. And so I, I'm using the stock market simulator that I ended up buying. And, and I remember the first time that I got a deposit into my bank account after acquiring that internet business. And it was like, whoa, like, why has nobody ever told me this was an option? I understand not many people know that how to do it beyond just the how in the list of everything that I've heard about, like the stock market, like real estate, like all these other things. Why hadn't anyone ever told me that there's income out there and you can go and buy it and then it'll start coming into your bank account just like this. <laughs> that was when I had that shift the same way that people go out and they get a loan or they do whatever they have to do to buy a car so that they don't have to build it from scratch the same way that they buy a house so that they don't have to build it from scratch. That is how you can go and buy income. And that was that paradigm shift and been doing it ever since. <laughs> cool, man. So, so one thing on that, I'm the first thing that kind of comes to mind for me, and I'm sure a lot of listeners, like if you buy a business, like you got to have a lot of money is that the case? And if not, where can you get funding to buy income? You know, it seems like it potentially could be a chicken or the egg kind of thing. You know, you want to buy income, but if you don't have income and don't have cash, and I know there are you know, ways to, to kind of solve this. I think the biggest thing on that is mentality. It, it's not even the, the how, because a person may not know exactly how they're going to finance the house, but they know that it happens. And so even if they're the first person in their family to, to buy a house, it's like, okay, like people do it. So I'm going to figure out how to do it. And then I'll just do it. And even if I have bad credit, I go to the bank and they say, oh, you can't because you got bad credit. Then I go back, I start working on that credit. Or, and then you go back and they say, oh, you can't because your debt to income ratio isn't where it needs to be. And so then you go work on your income or savings or all these things. And it's really interesting to me, the uh, mental block. I think it's more of a mental block that people don't even think, okay, well, let me go ask. Let me go talk to this business broker and see how I would do that. And I, I think that's the first step is just getting over that mental hurdle, which sounds like it's not a huge deal, especially when it comes to creativity. You've got to want it. 
if you get to the point that you really do want the business, I think you figure out how to do it. What happened with me in the first deal is a, a great case in point. I literally knew nothing about borrowing money, nothing about buying a business, literally had no idea that buying a business was a possibility until the guy who owned the business happened to tell me he wanted to sell it. Uh, they wanted 70,000, I only had 3,000. I'm going through this right now with some people that I'm taking through the process of building a private equity fund and we're doing that together. At every level, there's mental blocks to get over. And so all three of these guys have bought businesses before and done deals. And there's a whole new set of mental blocks that you have to get over once you start thinking like a fund manager. But the first set of mental blocks is just, okay, I, I want this. I'm going to figure out how to get it. Fortunate for me, I just couldn't sleep. I'm like, man, I got to figure like, how can I get this thing? I, I can't believe that, you know, they were making 60,000. He only wanted 70,000. I only had 3,000. So it did, you know, it's like, it might as well have been a million because, you know, it's like the, the 70,000 was so far away. And so I try to put it out of my head. I'd go for a week or two and then it just popped back like, dude, you got to figure out a way how to get this. That case I did. And a lot of people want to focus on the strategy or the mechanics. And, and that's what I was telling the guys in, in the private equity program. It's like one of the guys like, yeah, like I love that strategy and I want to use that. And then I'm like, the strategy doesn't matter. I have, I have never done two deals the same. And I've been involved with over 200 deals, whether it was as a consultant and investment or my personal deals. Just no two deals are going to be the same. And so my first deal was a combination of my $3,000, 50% seller financing, had an investor buddy who came in and was also was beneficial because he was a programmer. And then I used credit cards for the rest, which obviously I wouldn't re recommend anybody do anyway. But... Every deal is, is definitely going to be um, different. But when you come in with, number one, the viewpoint that it's in the same way that I'm going to figure out how to pay for college, you know, people, the average person coming out of school isn't walking out of high school with enough money to pay for college. But they just figure out how to do it. Like, where am I? I'll go get some scholarship. I'll get some financial aid. I'll get this grant. I'll work on the weekends. It's like you just figure out how to do it. And that attitude is the most important part. I think is really exciting and empowering about doing deals or looking at any ways to acquire or investing in, in businesses. And something that really draws me to it personally is that it's it's such a creative pursuit. You know, like you said, no two deals are the same. And you know, the more that I learn about it and get experience myself, the, the more that I understand that there are no rules. As long as you're happy and the seller's happy, if you both want to get it done, you know, there's an infinite range of ways that you can go about making that happen. Like you said, it really starts with the can-do mindset. If you think you can, you can. And if, if you think you can't, you're, you're also probably right. Getting beyond that, and I know you have a lot of experience with yourself as well as you know helping others set up these funds. Can you just kind of walk us through what does that mean? What do these kind of look like? How much money is generally going into them? Like, what is this structurally? What does that mean? And, and what does that look like? 
you know, when it comes to private equity funds, the setting up part isn't that complicated. It's usually pretty easy. It's a series of documents. Uh, if an attorney has worked in the space of doing these funds before, typically it's going to be a boilerplate kind of deal. <laughs> They're going to charge you a lot of money for it, but it is not necessarily a ton of work. And so I'm always, you know, we like to do very creative things in our funds. And we're, we're actually doing something right now where it's the first time that it's being done. And it's it's funny <laughs> talking to my attorney. Oh yeah, I need to go research that. Since it's the first time, I'm like, dude, I'm not paying for a bunch of research. I'm not paying a bunch of hours for you to just sit there and read. You know, we're, we're spend the time wisely. When it comes to setting up a fund, you've got two aspects to it. One is the general partnership, and this is where people who are running the fund, creating the fund, they're going to be at the GP level. The other are the limited partners. And the limited partners are essentially the investors for anything else. Now, the, the main reason that creating a fund is so different from an LLC is that for an investor, it allows you to track your returns. So if you're an LLC or a corporation, and you could grow or you buy another business and you merge with that business and you take on investors to buy that business. All of those kinds of activities are creating dilution or increasing the, the value of the business. But it's just going to be that now that's the set value of the business at this bigger level. The difference in a fund is that a fund, if it's a million dollar fund, or like you mentioned, the, my last fund, a $12 million fund, when that fund makes $2 million and is sitting in the bank, the value of the fund doesn't really change, but it's got a return of that, that $2 million. So that's kind of how you set it up, but, or, or what the fund looks like but also how it operates differently than a uh, corporation or, or other entity like an LLC. You as the organizer, you are the general partner and then the, uh, I'm guessing the capital partners come in and then they're the limited partners that get the, you know, that the chair and the return, but aren't making the decisions, aren't involved in decision making. Exactly. And I'll go and find people. Basically, this is the third iteration of my business. So the first was just buying businesses. After I had that first paradigm shift that we talked about of, oh, wow, I can go buy income. Then I started to do more of those deals. And, you know, it's funny because everybody gets really obsessed with like no money down deals and, and that kind of thing. And so it was kind of a rush. It was fun to go out and just do no money down deals. Next iteration was, wow, like I can help other people do these types of deals because they're very high ROI. As I was helping other people, it's like, you know, there's a ton of work that goes into a lot of no money down deals or very, very aggressive deals. And that's okay. Like if you're broke, then you've got to, essentially what you're doing is 
making up for your brokenness with time. And so you're doing a lot of hustling and, you know, you're finding that really great deal, spending your time, you're spending a lot of time trying to negotiate it down. Um, And when I say great deal, more like deal structure than great business. But I realized, man, you can spend a lot less time just working (laughs) on all of that stuff and spend that time just raising capital And then you can come to the table and get the very best businesses and not have to settle for the scraps because obviously the best businesses are going to go for some cash. And so Mm -hmm. uh, then we we started raising capital and doing deals and uh, just realized after a bit of time beyond that of just like I did a fund. And it's funny, in each case, it's kind of like, I'll go out and try stuff, see if it works, see if it doesn't. And then it's like, okay, let's expand. So once I realized that, okay, you know, we can buy these businesses, then once we started buying good, just raising capital and buying good businesses, all of a sudden there was then all of this work that went into uh, just trying to, to get what was pretty much a sucky business to work well because we got it with no money. Now we've got these really easy businesses to run with management in place. And it's just a, it's a lot more of a reason. It's like, all right, we can focus on building portfolios. Uh, essentially came to the conclusion that a fund and that structure, there's a reason that uh, everybody from Warren Buffett, Steve Schwartzman, just everybody who does this stuff, there's a reason that there's no, none of them that are just like, oh, I just went and just bought and sold businesses and became who I am. You know, Warren Buffett before Berkshire Hathaway, the only way he bought Berkshire Hathaway was because he had a fund that he started when he was 26. KKR, Steve Schwarzman, you know, and and the funny thing, when it comes to just the most wealthy, there's some aspect where even if it's their own business, they had private equity that they eventually sold. I started a fund and, now I work with other people to kind of create an ecosystem of, of funds, funds yeah. in the micro-private equity space. Before we were talking how there's infinite ways to get creative and no money down deals and you, know, you can be scrappy if you know, know that you can get it done. You're totally right. The flip side of that is going to be time, energy, and hassle. Like you also said, a big, established, good quality running business, they're not a motivated seller. They're probably going to want somewhat of a fair value of you know, what the business is worth, understandably. Anyone can get deals done, whatever your limitations. It's going to be a a matter of a lot of time, hassle, effort, energy. Whereas if you can just come in with some money, you know, can make the process a lot faster and easier. And so you've mentioned a couple of times you're talking about raising this capital, uh, you know, mentioned some, some of the, I guess, most, uh, you know, iconic private equity, you know, people in, in, I guess, the world today. And so where, you know, where do you teach people or, or how do you help people uh, to, you know, raise money for, for their funds? The way we do that, it's a program called Private Equity Fund Incubator. And um, I kind of pick out graduates. So we basically have two programs. We have uh, Dealmakers Institute, which is um, that first level of just go out, do deals, uh, build preferably a, a portfolio. And, you know, the, the times we're in right now, 
uh, are a great example, but you know, I realized a few years ago that um, man, owning a single business is just uh, very, very risky. You know, it's uh, the epitome of having all your eggs in, in one basket when you're putting your time into it, when you're putting your money is is tied up in it. Um, it's it's very risky. And I think, you know, now we're kind of in a, we're in a post-COVID era where people understand that things can go wrong. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that, number one, own businesses that were great, smart businesses, growing like crazy, everything is perfect. And, you know, whether it was supply chain or having things in their, in their business go wrong, there are a lot of those that uh, have gone to zero. The other thing that's, that's even worse is there are a lot of people that bought, you know, put all of their savings just months ago um, or even the last year uh, into businesses, buying those businesses, did perfect due diligence, looked, you know, under every nook and cranny and uh, made very wise decisions in that moment to, to buy those businesses. But again, put all their eggs in their basket and those businesses are at zero. And so, you know, the, the last three or four years, I'm, I'm really glad that we've been out of the uh, business buying and selling industry, probably one of the only folks that have just said, hey, if you're getting in this just to buy one business, we're not gonna work with you because we don't think that that's smart. We don't think that that's a, a good idea. And unfortunately, there have been people that went, took out SBA loans, put their savings into a down payment. And, you know, it's one thing to lose all your money. It's another thing to have all your, your home, your car, uh, other assets tied up and losing because of one business. And this is where that conversation of venture capital versus private equity comes into place because we're still dealing with small businesses and these things are very risky. And so in the DMI program, we're really focused on building that portfolio. And then obviously we're doing the, the same thing under a, a private equity fund, which uh, just adds some fuel to the, to the fire of having that portfolio. And, you know, it's, it's been, obviously terrible you know I'm, i get a lot just because of having some visibility in the space I, I get a lot of people who've been reaching out to me about businesses that they bought and they're trying to get out of or figure out a way out of um that you know they just have tied up so much money in man and and it's it's very disheartening to see people go through that after this a lot of people will focus on uh, okay, I have to be diversified. Even if I'm an entrepreneur, I have to be diversified. And it's also encouraging for me to see the the people that have built portfolios, and you know, even in my personal portfolio. To you know, we have a business that's in the toiletry and toilet space, and it's up four hundred percent. You know, we we have a business the the, the royalty space that's uh, killing it right now. So we have some businesses that have suffered. You know, I have a travel right, right. business. That, that actually does a lot of business in Asia. I also have a, ho a hotel that I'm a partner in that's uh, here where I am in, in Colombia. And so, but the key to all of that is, you know, among those, those 40 businesses that, that uh, are in my portfolio, it's some are going to do really well, some are going to suck. But, you know, that entrepreneur, and I know a lot of times sellers are, are looking 
that are listening to this podcast, um, uh, you know, that person that is, is selling right now, I think that's one of the most important things that you can do. If you're that entrepreneur that has that one business uh, that you're dependent on, you know, now's the time to start thinking towards, okay, if you're, if you're going to exit, how do you make sure that you're well diversified? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, you know, benefits of not having your, your eggs in one basket and the benefit of, of, of having a fund. And you mentioned a couple different, you know, kind of funding options and SBA. And, you know, we've interviewed people on the show and familiar kind of how that process works, the pluses, as well as, you know, the disadvantages, the personal guarantees, etc. And, you know, mentioned some things about family offices, potentially, like, how should somebody think about you know, if they're if they're interested in, in in doing this fund, and where are some places that people should look, or how should they kind of think about funding it? You know, one of the things that I try to do whenever I'm I'm thinking strategy, I want to look at how do the wealthiest people do this. If you can start to emulate up and and use the same strategies that you know let's say like my goal is i want to do i want to make a million dollars a year if my goal is to make a million dollars a year but i do the exact same thing that somebody who's making a billion dollars a year is doing that's really gonna help set me up for success now if i want to make a million dollars a year and I see somebody else who's made a million dollars a year, but then there's also people that are making $50,000 a year doing that same strategy and $100,000 a year doing that same strategy. Not only is that strategy have a lot more competition, but, you know, like my upside isn't that high. So I want to be able to fail. It's like if I can do 1% of what my example is doing, then I'll still hit my goal, then I should be pretty good. So when I look at like raising capital and I'm like, all right, what billionaires are using SBA? Um, there, there aren't any, you know what I mean? Um, and, unless it's Harvard stealing money from, uh, <laughs> from yeah. small businesses <laughs> and that kind of thing, well, which wasn't really the case, but you know, it was bad publicity on their part. When you look at the, what those guys do, it's, you know, they're raising capital from investors, even if it is loans, they're going out and they're doing that and building that skill set. I think it's, it's literally just a skill set. So interesting to me. Uh, you know, I've had clients come in, you know, I've got an accountant client that just isn't a salesperson. It's never sold anything, worked in a corporation. It just like, yeah, like I, I, I know I can't raise capital. He said that right up front. I'm like, all right, just do this process though, just to go through this process. And, you know, it's really cool. He's one of the people that's going through the private equity fund process. And he was one of the first people that I let in because, you know, he was calling me a few months ago, just like, man, I literally have too many investors trying to uh, invest with me. And this is in like COVID times, you know, because now, you know, everybody's realized this is the time to to do all of this stuff. Because for the first time, if entrepreneurs aren't realizing they need to be diversified, they're, they're just closing their eyes to reality. Uh, because even the average Joe, the average investor who's not included to anything, they're able to read the signs and say, oh, 
Like I can't just put my money into different stocks on the stock market and think I'm diversified. Like that's not diversification. You know, diversification is complete different classes of assets, you know, but he reached out like, man, like literally having too much money, too many investors, you got to figure out what skill sets you want because all the work that you do is the opportunity to gain a skill set. You can decide if you want your skill set to be, I know how to fill out documents very well and sign over all my assets as liens very well. I can, I can do that really well. I and mean, it's like, all right, so how much leverage, how much uh, scalability does that skill set give you? The ability to fill out forms and do whatever your bank tells you to do and, and all of that. That's not very scalable. And you compare that to the skill set of being able to go out and raise capital from uh, individuals, that's a scalable skill. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how I think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it consistent with what you know, we started talking about is just the, the can-do attitude, knowing that you can do it, um, modeling after the best people that have done it or are doing it picking the right skills, skill sets that you want to be building as an entrepreneur or investor. Thank you again for coming on. You can leave the listeners, let them know where they can get in touch and find more about what you're up to. So if people are interested in this stuff, you know, I tell people all the time, it's not the most exciting thing, it's, it, but you know, it, it's, a, it's a lot of fun for business nerds and it's really powerful because sometimes the most exciting things are the things that have the most competition. If you really want to learn about this stuff, I would recommend going to YouTube, search Ace Chapman, uh, over 300 videos there, deep diving into some of this. The Web Equity Show is a podcast. You guys can check that out. My website is acechapman.com. All right, well, Ace, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Dave, appreciate it. This has been the Ecom Exits podcast with Nate Ginsberg. If you're enjoying the Ecom Exits podcast, show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help other smart entrepreneurs find us. We appreciate your support. We have a new episode every week on the Ecom Exits podcast. So, catch you next time.